Good morning, everyone. Glad you all are here this morning, both in person and online. We're in First Kings chapter 21 this morning. And a key verse that I like to read before we pray is in verse 25, where it says, But there was none, excuse me, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Let us pray. Our Lord God in heaven, we are grateful to you that you have allowed us to be able to come before your throne this morning, allowing us to study your word and, Lord willing, later to worship you. We ask that you be with us and be with our minds, that is, our hearts, and help us to delve, um, delve into your word to get a proper understanding of what you are teaching us, Lord. And help us, Lord, to continue to question the way we live our lives and is it according to your word and your will. We ask that you bless those that are still on their way here, that you be with them as uh, they try to be safe out there on the roads. And please be with those that have been in accidents this morning that we may have seen, that they may be able to get the help that they need. In Jesus' name, amen. I read that verse in verse 25, which... We'll, we'll, we will get to, um, cause Jezebel plays a big part in Ahab's downfall. And, um, there's a lot to be said in that. Last week, we, we ended chapter 20, seeing that, uh, what kind of character uh, Ahab had, if we didn't know already, he, he's a, a powder. He, he's someone who is just, he, you know, he, he he doesn't know what he really wants. If something is in front of him, him and he wants it, but he can't get it. He pouts about it, and and we know that he he runs home and and tells his wife. Well, chapter twenty one, First Kings chapter twenty one, verses one through three reads, and it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard or a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near, next to my house. And for it I will give you a vineyard better than than it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. Ahab's request, as we see, was denied by Naboth. And uh, just to understand it, Jezreel was not where Ahab lived all the time. It was kind of like his his summer house, his summer palace. You know, um, when I was living in, when, when I say living, when I was growing up in Florida, and also when we were stationed there, we were all, all always see snowbirds, which maybe some of you all may be snowbirds that would come down during the winter time, come down to to their summer place, summer palace per se down in uh west palm beach and then when it was uh during the during the winter months and then during the summertime they would go back home well i imagine this is something like what ahab was doing you know what he offered to naboth was really a, a great deal it was it was a good investment in fact he said i will uh give me yours and i'll give you something that's better or let me buy it from you um at whatever price you think and, and, and I'll, I'll take it. But really, I, I just want it because it's right here near my house and I really want it. 
When Nahab, excuse me, Naboth refused, first because it was his, his inheritance, um, he wanted it, and secondly because it was illegal. Uh, if you look at Leviticus chapter 25, verses 23 through 28, you'll see some of the same things we see in Numbers chapter 36, which we'll read. Numbers 36, starting at verse 7, you'll see that he, he, he shouldn't have given up his vineyard anyway. In verse 7 of Numbers chapter 36, it says, So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe. So that the children of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. Another thing to think about when you do look at Leviticus chapter 25, the only difference there, or that's added to it, is that even if he sold this property in seven years, he was supposed to get it back anyway because of uh, the year of Jubilee and, and other things that were going on during that time. But in either case, he was not going to give up his inheritance because it was the inheritance um, from his father. Well, now we we have Jezebel really showing her true colors here and how she she really is. Uh, in chapter 21, verses 4 through 16, we see that Jezebel is the one that causes Naboth's death. Again, as we saw in 1 Kings 20, verse 43, verse 4 here in, in chapter 21 shows us how much of a powder um, Ahab is. And, and Jezebel is like, are you not king? I'll get it for you. Well, let's look at verse 8 in chapter 21 of 1 Kings. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people. And seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. So the men of the city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed it fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him and the scoundrels, uh, witnessed against him, against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, <coughs> excuse me, sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. So Jezebel gives orders for these elders, these nobles, and the sons of Bilal to do what we just read. I want to take a moment here again and, and point out that Jezebel is not the king. And what this situation, this this what we see here, remember these are not just stories, this actually happened. What we need to remember is that we all have roles that we have in our lives, and especially in our families. And 
Yeah, Ahab was king. He should he was the should have been the the uh, head of his household. But what it's showing me is that when he can't do the Jezebel, I'm going to do. I'm going to do it anyway. And we find ourselves in that situation sometimes today. Men, if you're not going to step up, you know, we have said many times from, from this pulpit, our wives, they will. And we don't want them to be doing the things that we should be doing. In fact, God doesn't want us, uh, want them to be doing what we should be doing. Don't put our wives in those situations where now they're leading our family when they, when you should be. The same thing as Ahab should have been doing. Well, these men, uh, they answered basically by going along with Jezebel. Remember, they knew it was Jezebel that wrote these letters. Because it tells us in verse 14, they sent back to Jezebel um, that Naboth was um, stoned, that he, that he was dead. It was almost like they were saying, yes, ma'am, what else would you want us to do? You know, anything else? They didn't stand up for what was right. We need to always stand up for what is right. No matter who's saying what, if it's wrong then it's not right, and we need to stand up for it. In verse 15 through 16, um, she tells Ahab, you know, go take your vineyard. It's yours now. Naboth's, Naboth's um, sons were also killed. We see that in Second Kings verse 9 and um, 26. It was also understood that the property of one guilty of treason, which Naboth was wrongly accused of, um, was transferred to the king. Notice, notice that it all of a sudden didn't be, it wasn't anything about God. It was all about Ahab. Because they said he blasphemed, what he said, the, the, the king and, and God? You had blasphemed God and the king. Um, we see in chapters, chapter 21, verses 17 to 26, Ahab's doom is pronounced by Elijah. Now Elijah told, was told to meet with Ahab and give him God's condemnation in verses 17 through 19. Um, it was said that the dogs will shall lick your blood where they lick Naboth's blood. Verse 20, when he goes to Ahab, excuse me, Elijah goes to meet with Ahab. So Ahab said, Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, Ahab sold himself to do evil for a piece of property. So for something that wasn't his. Even in the church, Satan has to work on Christians to get us back in his kingdom. Same thing, Ahab, Ahab could have done right by the Lord, but he decided not to. Remember, we've said that these 20 kings um, here in Israel were, were evil. But they could have chose to do right. But Satan was working on him. But as we, we recently talked about, as, as Tony was, was uh, speaking on last week, it's because of his desires, because of what he had in his heart, that he wanted to do what was what he wanted to do. That does nothing but keep us in Satan, Satan's kingdom. He has all those others. He will do anything he can and even use us against one another, blinding our love for and to each other. Don't let something so small stand between you and your brother or sister in Christ that will keep you away from the Lord. Your house shall be also cut off just like Jeroboam's and Bosch's, um, verses 21 through 24. 
In verse 23, we see Jezebel again. But her death would be more humiliating than Ahab's. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. You know, when I was a kid, the only thing I remembered about who died and how they died was about Jezebel. Because I always thought, I thought dogs eat dog food. They eating people. Not just licking the blood of Ahab, but they're eating Jezebel. And we, we find out later on, and we see it, that, uh, that it happened. That's always stuck with me. Well, in verses 25 to 26, we continue to see the wickedness of uh, Ahab. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. <coughs> Excuse me. And he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard these words, these words that uh, preceding uh, verse 27, excuse me, verse 25, that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. So Ahab had true repentance, but it does not last long at all. He went away uh, in verse 27 very, uh, he was mourning and walking away very uh, softly or, or he was in deep contemplation of what he had done. Because true repentance, God's judgment will wait though until his death. And it will happen in, as we see in the lifetime of his children. I want to remind us that we continue to see over and over God is saying, come back to me. And when you go back to the Lord, it is possible that the Lord will change his mind about what he's going to do, uh, or what, what's the punishment that is going to come your way, if any at all. Well, we're in chapter 22 and we see the death of Ahab. Remember that if Ahab had killed Ben-Hadad, as we read last week, there would have been peace for much a much longer time. Judah and Israel agreed to fight Ahab's brother, because that's who we called him, uh, Ben-Hadad. We can read more about that in Second Chronicles 18. Ahab and jo- Jehoshaphat had given their children to each other in marriage. In verses 5 through 7 in chapter 22, we see that he was told to inquire of the Lord, but you need to do it in a, he needs to do it in the right way. Second uh, Chronicles 18, 4 through 5. This is a prophet in verse 8 of Jehovah. And I was just making sure I pronounced his name right. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. I hate him. Why, why is he saying that? I, I hate him. Because he tells only the truth. He only tells the truth. Have you been hated because you have told the truth? Having to stand for truth, not liking 
having you in Bible class that is. Some people may not like having you in class or seeing you coming because you're going to tell them the truth in love. Look at Galatians 4.16 right quick. Galatians 4.16 reads, I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Um, this question has been asked because well, I'm telling you the truth and like Ahab, excuse me, um, yes, he, he's mad because he's never going to say anything good towards me. And you have to consider why he's saying that. But with us, we have to make sure that as we are handling the truth, trying to teach somebody the truth, we do it in love. Because no one should ever hate seeing you come in their way or having you in Bible class. But if you are hating someone or not liking what they have to say because, well, they're talking straight from the Bible, then you, I, I question, well, then why are you here? Or what, what are you studying? Who are you, who are you serving? Micaiah has a prophecy in verses 14 to 28. You can also see that in Second Chronicles 18. Remember, I said that, you know, we'll find some of the same things in both the Chronicles and the Kings, but more detailed in Chronicles. When Micaiah spoke good for Ahab, Ahab knew it was not true. It is a horrible thing where one can know that any good prophecy from God concerning him could not be true. You can see that in verses 15 and 16. It means he knows his life is not in a way being lived in the way Jehovah would have him live. You know, um, you ever invite someone to worship service or to a Bible class and they say those different things they say to you, like, you know, the building will fall down on me or, um, no, I don't know, lightning might strike me when I walk in or, I, or something. When you bring the word to someone, they, they automatically sometimes feel like, oh, well, I don't, I don't know because I know I'm not living my life in the way I should, at least what I think. You know, not not even having read the Bible or studied, sometimes people just know, well, but I know I'm not living according to this because, well, I want to do my own thing. Do I have to change? Do I have to, I mean, will I still be able to do the things I used to do? No, you, you can't, not if they're not in according to God's will. And and so, therefore, when sometimes when you are even living your life the way you are, somebody might say, well, you don't what they'll ask you i've been asked i've been asked at, at work at times why don't you come out and drink with us um do you think you're too good are you too holy than now it's because you're a christian i haven't even said a word i haven't said anything yet well i mean yes because i'm a christian no i don't think i'm holier than now but that's not the way god will have me live my life well you're judging me then because i do it you asked me the question i didn't even I didn't even come to you. So people know they can have a general general idea that I'm not living my life the way I should. And Ahab knew that he was not. He was already told he wasn't. Was truth is spoken and Ahab knows it is not good for him. Verses 29 to, uh, 19 to 25, we see good spirits versus evil spirits. Look at verse 20. We're in chapter 22. It says there, and the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner 
<clears throat> another spoke in that manner. Then the spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I'll persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. So let's examine this for a little bit. There were other prophets that were prophesying, yet Jehoshaphat was saying, is there, a, is there a, uh, not still a prophet of the Lord here that may inquire of him? Because Jehoshaphat knew he needed to hear from the Lord. And obviously these, these other prophets were not from the Lord. And so when we get to verse 20 through 23, we got the question, well, who is the lying spirit? Was God lying or or is this something from Satan? I want you to consider uh, Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Job chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. When Job, not Job, uh, Satan was right there presenting himself before the Lord. And the Lord asked him, God asked him, you know, where had he been? And he was saying he was going to and fro and to the earth and the earth. And reading the New Testament, we know what he does going to and fro. And we know that God allowed Satan to do all the things he did to him. He just was not able to kill him. And yet Satan, Satan will do all he can to try to pull us down. Well, if you look at 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, sinking whom he may devour. I don't necessarily believe... Oh, I know evil does not come from the Lord. And I can't tell you definitively who and what this spirit was. But Satan has already proved him, proven himself time and time again through the scripture to show that he'll be willing, a willing participant to do something as evil. Well, Zedekiah knew he had a revelation in verses 24 and 25. This made him all the more bold. It says, in Micaiah indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. So the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the, the governor of the, city, of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say thus, says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Micaiah was to be in prison until Ahab returns. But Micaiah affirms the message anyway. He knew, okay, put me in jail, but I'm still going to tell you what the Lord says. Just because someone threatens us to keep our mouths shut about what the Lord has to say. We need to even be more bold and tell people what God has to say. Don't let Satan, don't let anyone stop you from speaking the truth about what God has to say. Too much, um, too much, uh, bless, too many blessings come because of teaching people the truth. We're talking about, you know, a long time ago that this happened. And yet today people would rather that we just be quiet about anything. Unless it's good. Let's talk about the rainbows. Let's talk about the, the, the flowers and the sunshine and the blessings that come from the Lord. All those good things come from the Lord. 
But guess what? Sometimes we have adversity in our lives. Sometimes it's because of what we've done and how we've gone against the Lord. And yet we still want God to bless us, even though we're sinning against him. I want to live the life I want to live, but God, I expect you to bless me. I want you to do it the way I want to. And that's what I get from from Ahab. So what happened? We see that in verses 29 through 36 that Judah and Israel are defeated. You can see more details in chapter 18 of Second Chronicles 28 through 34. Ahab was wounded as predicted. Let's look at Psalm 127. Psalm 127. So when you read verse 34 of Second Kings 22, it seems like is at random that that um, arrow found him, but it wasn't at random. What a missile! What missile will you send out in, in your life, and then let God direct it? That was a question that a uh, as I was doing some studying, a brother asked uh, about this verse. He was saying that you know we we send missiles out per se, or or arrows out in our lives. And they're going to hit something. And they're going to hit some target that we're aiming at. We want to make sure that we're aiming at the right target, that we're, we're sending, we're carefully putting our, our, our arrows on target. And, and what brought them to my mind was, uh, Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. I, I, I'm thinking about that because we've been talking, or at least I have um, through this study, about how when these kings are mentioned, m- m- many of the times their mothers are mentioned as well. Or it'll talk about who, who, th- what family they came from. And I can only imagine that Ahab's children either know now or will know what he has done and they can either do what he did or do something different and we have to ensure that when we are raising our children that as we're pulling them out of the quiver per se and we're getting ready to you know aim them target let's make sure that we're targeting them in the right way shooting them down down range in the right way that they are all focused on the lord ahab was not Verse 36 of back in second, uh, first Kings 22, the Jews were not chased after their defeat. And we see the death of Ahab in verses 37 through 39. The dogs lapped up his blood as it was said, as it was prophesied in verse 19 of chapter 21. Ahaziah, Ahab's son, then reigns. And that brings us to verses 41 through 50, uh, the reign of Jehoshaphat of Judah. If you read Second Chronicles chapter 17 uh, through chapter 18, verse 1, you will see that Jehoshaphat strengthens his kingdom and is loyal to Jehovah. Jehoshaphat sends out priests. He sends out Levites to teach the law. And the king increases in power, and the nations fear the Lord, just as they should have. Well, Jehoshaphat continued to fight sodomy in verse 46 of 1 Kings 22. It says there, And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. 
Jehoshaphat's navy was defeated before it sailed and as a result of an evil alliance. Jehoshaphat dies in verse 50, and Jehoram, his son, reigns. Verse 51 through 53 ends, ends, um, in chap- ends us in chapter 22, where it says, And Ahaziah... Excuse me, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, Nabat, who had made Israel sin. For he served Baal, Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, God of Israel, to anger according to all that his father had done. Ahaziah begins his reign. He's evil and he worships uh, Baal. In chapter 1 of Second Kings, we are reminded that Ahab, excuse me, Ahaziah is Ahab's son and there's a rebellion here in, in, chapter, in verse 1 in Moab. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Moab, Moab had been in subjection to Israel after the kingdom had been divided. Uh, we've read about that in chapter 3 and also in Second Chronicles 19. In chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, we also see Judah's deliverance from Moab, Ammon, and Edom. We see an invasion, and there's a prayer by Jehoshaphat, which is complete dependence. He's trying to have our the, his kingdom to have complete dependence upon God. And because of that, the answer was the battle belongs to the Lord. And there was complete victory. Ammon and Moab fight against Edom and they win. Then Ammon and Moab fight each other and there is no winner. The result is defeat for God's enemies. There's great spoils and more than they could carry. There was triumph, triumphant return to Jerusalem. The field of Jehovah came upon all, all of Israel and all his, her enemies. And that's just in verse 1. Um, you have to go again to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Reading verses 2 through 4, we see that now Ahaziah fell through the ladders of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Akron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Akron? And therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. This Beelzebub uh, is the God of flies, little g. Supposedly, he had pro- prophetic powers. I still, I just, I don't. Maybe I'm just, I'm thinking in 21st, 21st century mindset right now, or, but I don't know. And, and I, I probably, we probably just be like those folks back then. But God showed them so many wonders. They, they could see the power of God, how he reached out and touched people per se. Uh, we could still see the power of God too in, the, in nature. But I think y'all, y'all know what I'm getting at. It's like, they they heard from God uh, from the prophets. I mean, the prophets would speak for God. They would see that when God said something, it would happen. They knew this, and yet 
They still worship these idols because they still want to do me. I want to do me. Let me do what I'm going to do. So I'm going to, I want you to go talk to this piece of wood or metal or whatever and, and ask this thing if I'm going to live. If, if I'm, if things are going to go great, am I going to be prosperous? Uh, I'm going to worship this thing that has no power at all. Something that I had to create. I just, I just wonder sometimes. Are we not doing the same thing today when we don't trust in the Lord and to remember all the blessings, all the um, how he was um, his providence, how he provided in the past for us. And we soon forget him, just like these kings. Well, God is it's God against false gods again. We've seen this over and over and over again as we continue through this study because you are faithless. You shall die, he's told. Well, there, there's a message. The message is delivered to um, Ahaziah in verses 5 through 16. The messengers deliver the message promptly. Through their description, he knows it's Elijah. Well, who summons who? In verse 9, it says, Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 and his 50 men. So he went up, up to him, and there he was, sitting on the top of the hill. And he spoke to him, man of God, the king has said, come down. And Elijah said, and Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Okay, so if I did not believe all this time, I mean, after all the things that God has done, and now I'm living, and I, I've read in the chronicles of the kings and the things that are on the scrolls about what happened to all my forefathers and those that came before me and how God did what he did. If, I, if I've been told, I know I've been told about how God, what he did in Egypt um, to my, uh, for my ancestors, to all the, the plagues and but I didn't see that, and but I, but I've heard about it, how he parted the water and how, um, you know, fire has come down from heaven to consume an altar and lick up all the water. You know, we read all about that, right? All these things that happened. This right here, because I'm alive now, I'm the king. Yeah, I I think I would believe. Well, y'all know if you hopefully you studied that he didn't, because it says in verse eleven, then he sent to him another captain of fifty, and his fifty men. And he answered to him, to him, man of God, thus has the king said, come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Okay, so uh, for those of y'all that have not served, if you uh, get, get an opportunity to serve in the military, when you deploy, you go to war. Maybe you're not on the front lines, but you hear about what happened really quickly. You know, you find out, oh, we don't need to go that way. We need to go this way. And Intel has told us this and that. I am sure they had some of the same thing. They probably did not have, you know, the Internet, but they had word of mouth. They could tell that this happened. They know what has happened. And I'm considering the king as a leader. I have been a leader. I try to consider my my uh, my folks family and and the things that they have gone through. And and I'm thinking about the first 50 men, the captain and, and uh, of the 50 and, and his 50 men. They have all just lost all their fathers and husbands and, and brothers. Right. And now another 
um, 50 in a captain have, have done the same thing. Have suffered the same thing. And verse 13 says, and again, he said, he sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah because he heard, he knew what had happened to his, um, his compatriots and pleaded with him and said to him, man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. I think that man knew who was in charge. He had humility. And that's what saves him and his his soldiers. This person right here, he was a good leader because he thought about not just himself, but also of his 50 men that were following him. He didn't want to see them die. He definitely didn't want to, but he also understood where the power was. That this man of God, his power came from God. Well, in verses 15 and 16, it says, Elijah personally delivers the message to Ahaziah. He was invited. He was not forced. He wasn't going to be forced to come and see him. Then we see in verses 17 through 18, the death of Ahaziah. Ahaziah dies as Elijah said he would in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 of uh, 1 Kings. Excuse me, of, um, yes, 1 Kings. Nope, and, and second here in Second Kings, Jer, Jer Jehoram reigns in his stead. I believe I have that that verse wrong there. Sorry about that. Jehoram reigns in his stead, but this is not Ahaziah's son. He didn't have a son, so I think I've already said Jehoram's name, right? I've said Jehoram already in Second Kings, I mean First Kings chapter twenty-two. But this is this is not the same Jehoram. So remember that um, this is not the same one. The anointing of Elisha and the death of Elijah is in chapter two. Elijah asks Elisha to wait while he goes to Bethel. Elisha refuses, and they go together. The sons of the prophets at Bethel ask a question. They, they continue, you know, this question keeps getting asked. You know that Elijah is going to be taken away. Today, hold your peace. Elijah asks Elijah to wait while he goes to Jericho in verse 4. Elijah refuses and they go together. It's asked again by the sons of the prophets of Jericho. And they ask that same question. He said, hold your peace. Be quiet. Elijah asks Elijah to wait while he goes to the Jordan. He refuses and they go together. The 50 sons of the prophets stand apart and they watch in verse 7. And this is a miracle through uh, Elijah. In verse 7 it says, and following, And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at distance, at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said, Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elijah said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Elisha Asked a great request, 
he asks a double portion to be given to him. And there's a qualification that is given there. Elijah is taken, Elijah is taken in verse 11. And there are chairs of fire and horses of fire. I don't, I'm sure that had to be amazing. I, I don't even have a word, word for it to, to see that uh, as they were parted and, and Elijah was taken away. Elijah, excuse me, Elisha in verse 12, we see that he is grieving the loss. And Elijah takes up the mantle, which is his sign of office, and performs the same uh, miracle that, or action, or sign that um, Elijah did. The sons of the prophets acknowledge Elisha as their new leader, and is appointed, um, who was appointed by God. And how do we know this? It's by bowing, how they bowed in homage and submission, but they were not worshiping Elisha. In verses 16 to 25, as we close our lesson today, we see the return of Elisha to Jericho and to Bethel. It appears they fear Elijah's body was left behind as in normal deaths. And they keep asking, let us go out and look for his body. And finally, because they made constant requests to go look for Elijah's body. He allowed them to go and do it. And he, it's almost like a, he felt ashamed that they didn't, they didn't understand. So he just, he allowed them to go and do it, even though he knew that they would not find his, his body. So in verses 19 through 22, we see that Elisha, as you read, and again, you should be reading this yourself at home, um, and not rely on me to read all of the chapters for you. Because uh, you need to be able to come and, and I'll give you some extra details. But it would be great if you study this on your own. We see that Elisha made the water, um, the Jericho's water, whole. There was good land with bad water. Good land with bad water is still bad land. I mean, you, you can't grow anything if you have bad water. So in verse 20, he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Salt is a symbol for preservation. Elisha, with Jehovah's powers, cures the water. This is a great blessing for these people. That means that they would have good crops, which would bring great prosperity for them. And then in verses 23 to 25, we see God's uh, judgment on the mockers. Um, And he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up to the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And the two female and two female bearers came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel and from there to, uh, there he returned to Samaria. So as a child, when I read that, I just kind of chuckled. Then became a man, and I started losing my hair, and I started shaving it. And so when I read this now, I'm thankful that I don't, well, you know, I don't, I'm not saying people have been picking at me, but um, what I do get from this is that don't mock God's people. Those who mock God's people will reap vengeance, and in, in possibly in this life, but sure enough in the next when I when I say that, I'm saying that I'm just a person. I'm just a man, but I'm trying to teach you God's word. You ever you ever have you ever start trying to teach somebody God's word, or even just hear people mocking God, mocking His word? You know, vengeance is not yours. 
Let God take care of them. Uh, a bald head was a term of scorn and ridicule, I would suppose, during that time. And Jehovah showed his wrath on those who scorn his people, even if it's with his words. Elijah then returns to Samaria. So next week we will start chapter 3, and we will really get into the nuts and bolts of all these kings. And what we will continue to see over and over again is these kings, here's the king, here's who he is, he was evil, good or evil, this is what he did, and this is how he died. And we'll see that over and over and over again. And we will discuss both of the uh, Joharams or Jorams. Uh, there are two kings in the Bible referred to as King Joram or Joharam. or jo- Joharam. The first was the son, the king of Jehoshaphat, and he ruled in the southern kingdom of Judah from 853 to 841 B.C. The other king, Jehoram, was the son of the wicked king Ahab, and he ruled from 852 to 841 B.C. This complicates matters more because they were brother-in-laws, and we'll talk about that next week. Thank you all for coming, and uh, next week, please read chapters 3 through 7. Appreciate you. We are dismissed.